0: Welcome to 5th Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. This episode kicks off a three-part series with Andy Cohen, the co-CEO of innovative leading design firm, Gensler. In today's episode, Andy and I discuss pandemic influenced sociological shifts and how they will impact both the layout of our cities and the design of our buildings. Andy also shares how the pandemic will affect the way we work from flexible office layouts to the notion of a five day work week and why company culture will reign supreme. So Andy, Thank you so much for joining. Um, j- just to start, can you give us just a little bit of background on, on yourself as the CEO of Gensler, and just a little bit on Gensler's work?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, Brandon, thanks so much for having me on. I look forward to speaking with you today, and I really admire everything you've been doing with these phenomenal interview series. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. I uh,
1: Thank I've you. been, believe it or not, this is my 40th year at Gensler. And I I like to tell people I started when I was five years old, so that works well. Uh, And uh, I've been co-CEO with my partner, Diane Hoskins for 15 years. And uh, it's been a phenomenal run for me. I started in the firm when we only had about 150 people and we have about 6,000 people in the firm today. We're in 50 cities uh, around the globe. We have a global practice. uh, And last year we worked in over 100 countries. One of our key core tenets is that design has unique and profound ability to make a difference in the world. And what more profound time than right now, these unprecedented times we're in. Every day we have teams around the world impacting millions of people's lives. How they live, how they work, how they play, how they educate, how their health and safety and all those things that come with it. So it's been uh, remarkable. Uh, to see how our teams are performing around the globe. And we're, we, we're, we took on this idea, and I'll talk about it more as you ask me more questions, around shaping the future of cities around the globe. As architects and urban planners, we've been really focused on shaping the future of cities uh, and around key issues. You know, before COVID, we were focused on major issues around climate change, around densification and urbanization around housing and homelessness, and around mobility. And so we've we've taken these challenges on. We have what's called the Gensler Research Institute, which a lot of our clients rely on, for a lot of our key research in these key areas.
0: Got it. And, you know, this crisis is so profound, right? Because it's hard to imagine a space that it impacts more than the built environment, right? Which is... Your canvas, right? That's probably how you define your your canvas. Have you ever seen anything like this? Like just looking historically, you said you've been at it for forty years. Has there anything? Has there been anything that compared even remotely to this this moment in time? Well,
1: we've been through. I've been through, and our firm's been through four major, you know, significant downturns. The early nineties. Uh, obviously, 9/11, then the economic meltdown in 0809, which I thought in my career at that moment was going to be the last time I went through something that significant. This one's different. Uh, it's uh, you know, 0809 was uh, unbelievably impactful in my industry specifically, as everything kind of just stopped because the capital dried up. This is impacting everyone in the world and impacting all of our clients. And I've never seen uh, such a devastating impact across every industry as as this COVID, and and frankly the uncertainty that comes with it, and that's what we're dealing with—the uncertainty of what the future is. Uh, so, I, f- for me personally, I could tell you, I I thought oh eight oh nine, you know, and that that whole downturn was going to be the worst, but this one, by far, and it was—it's been so swift. You know, we started this my firm. Uh, got impacted by covid in january because we have offices in shanghai and beijing and so those offices went home and those offices had been working from home so we knew we knew about it we knew it was probably coming and to see you know the devastating impact around the globe and i like to say now we have 6000 offices not 50 offices cuz everyone is home right. except our china offices ironically our china offices are back to work and thriving so isn't that ironic where it all started, now our people are back to work and thriving.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so strange, you know, the, the, it seems like I've been through, I guess in my career, one uh, previous crisis and what's so different here is that you have obviously the, the public health crisis compounded by obviously financial market dislocation and probably the highest level of uncertainty in terms of what the future looks like or any notion that it will resemble the past. But then you just have these conflating variables of um, sociological shifts, which I'm really curious, you know, going forward to get your your thoughts on just around what what do cities look like? What is the point of being in a city? What was the initial drive to cities and kind of initial waves of urbanization? And what does that look like going forward? And the other interesting thing is just the, the state of technology, right? Like this happened at a moment in time where, technology could viably connect us in a way that if this had happened just five years earlier, I don't think the the breadth and the scope of the questions that are being asked would be getting asked. And so connecting that back to something I wanted to ask you is you've thought a lot about what a return to work looks like. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we're technically working right now, but we're, we're in two different offices, right? I guess Fitball has 40 offices and you have 6,000. When do we, and how do we go back to work? And how has Gensler thought about that protocol?
1: Well, I could tell you, because all our clients are coming to us and asking us the same question, we've been focusing on our own going back to work. We've obviously been focusing on our clients back to work. And uh, we just finished a survey, uh, just completed. Uh, and the results are profound. Um, there's been a lot in the media recently about the you know, the death of the office, that people aren't gonna go back to the office. And from our research, what we're finding is we interviewed 2,500 professionals across all kinds of demographics around the world. And what came back was is that, yes, there's about 12% of people said they wanna go, go you know, work from home, full time, they're done. They don't wanna go back to the office. What we're finding is is that there are about 50% of the people and mostly millennials. And remember, over 50% of the workforce are millennials. And those millennials are saying, I want back. I have roommates, I have distractions, I have parents, I have, you know, uh, children, uh, dogs, everything. The, The distractions at home for millennials who are living in very small, especially in cities, living in small units are really want to go back. You know, Profoundly, the results are that they want to go back. And so you've got this real dichotomy going on of 12% of people saying they want to go work from home. Another 18% say they'll work from home part time, two, three days a week. And then the predominance, over 50% saying they want to go back. And so I, I think the future is going to be about us designing offices and places that work for both that work can work for uh, mobile workers. It was already happening before COVID. People had a sense of choice anyway of where they could work, whether they worked in a Starbucks or whether they worked in the lunchroom at the office or whether they worked from home. But today it's more profound. And so in our firm, we're seeing, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) we're making key decisions and our clients are having to make key decisions about when they go back and clearly, a lot of our clients and ourselves were about to go back. In fact, we thought we'd be back now. And now with the reoccurring spikes that are going on around the United States, <clears throat> we're seeing absolutely you know firms now reeling and taking a step back from going back. And we're trying to put in place, you know, the hood, who, what, when, and how. Who's going to go back? Because certainly there's people with pre-existing conditions. The schools aren't back, so parents can, can't go back. So what we're seeing with our clients and ourselves are maybe 15, 20% of the people will go back to start uh, and, and uh, they'll have to obviously pass all the key gating that happens with CDC and with the world health organization, but about 15% or 20% going back and under very different rules and regulations and protocols, you know, we are seeing, we're, we're you know, having to space out for ourselves and for our clients. We have a tool called Rerun that spaces out how people sit within this environment. We can literally put in your employees into a database and it spits out um, the type of spacing, the type of seating arrangements that would be COVID compliant. Um, And uh, you know, we're helping our clients literally deal with day one of going back and what that looks like uh, from anywhere from, uh, obviously seating arrangements to how the lobby is going to work and, you know, uh, to air changes and HVAC equipment, to how bathrooms are going to work, to how elevators are going to work. All these issues are key issues that our clients are grappling with right now.
0: And I'm curious to get your perspective, since you're you're seeing so much of that on the front lines of that, um, just unpacking the, the motivation to, to come back to an office. Like on the one hand, um, I totally appreciate the, Your comments around um, the inconvenience, right? You have a kid, or you have a dog, or you have roommates, or you have these inconveniences that are that are circumstantial um, to the individual that just make it not productive to work from home, and that seems viable. But there's this moment in time where we can almost um, re-examine the very motivations we had for working together at all, right? That in I think about urbanization, and you know, as a the initial waves of urbanization being driven by an industrial economy and then the U.S. and in the Western world transitioned to a knowledge economy and creativity and collaboration to put people together in the development of firm culture. What have we learned? I'm curious to your perspective. What have we learned that's surprising in this crisis about what that motivation is and what the, what the rationale for a CEO to put his or her employees together in, in a single space? Like, what have we learned about that? I'm curious, this is counterintuitive.
1: Look, what we're seeing right now is, and people have been very surprised by the productivity that's occurring with Zoom calls like this or go to calls like this. But what I'm hearing over and over again from CEOs are what people are not getting are culture. You know, they, it's very hard to get the organization's culture when you're sitting on the Zoom calls or visceral experiences, or collaboration, or innovation. It's very hard to innovate in this, what I call the Hollywood squares or Brady Bunch moment. We have all these squares on the screen. And and what I've also been saying a lot recently is what's making this moment work so well is that everyone's home. So I know I can reach you, Brendan. I know that you're home. I know that you're very accessible. And so it's making it very efficient right now. The minute we start to have 20, 30, 50% of our workers back at the office, then we're back into a different mode where it's not going to be as efficient. And I really believe truly that the office is about collaborations, it's about people. The number, from our research, the number one reason people want to go back is to be with people. They you know, to, to yearn for to that social and visceral interaction. And for organizations, productivity does, does happen around the water cooler. It does happen not just around you know, productivity calls like this one, but it does happen through culture, through me- how do you create mentoring and coaching for younger people in this in this you know, um, moment brand. So I think the purpose of the office is very clear. Creativity, innovation, collaboration. I do think though that as a medium, this does work if you have an office and you have people working from home. And what I'm hearing from our clients are there to be a lot more flex hours. You know, where people can work home a day a week or different hours during the day where you might start your day later to avoid traffic and so forth in our major cities and flex time between times. I think our work week is also increasing too. It's increasing from what was, you know, nine to five, five day a week, you know, all, all, especially in the United States, American workers are working seven days a week. now, And so that's why I come back to the core reason for the office is that culture, it's that collaboration, it's that true meaning, the, you know, the purpose of work, uh, why you're doing what you do. Back to the, you know, societal issues of why you, why are we doing what we do for our organization. So, I, I think this is a, a pivotal moment in time for the office, especially for office workers, and how this is going to radically, uh, you know, change. The, the formula for success for, for work, that it's just not nine to five, that it's just not having to go in the office, but it's that medium between the two. And I think our offices will be designed that way. We're gonna have a lot more video conferencing where people will be in a conference in an office, but also bringing in three, four, five people, 10 people from the outside to conferences.
0: And, and I'm just interested in um, obviously being on the front lines of design, right? And how buildings are designed. You mentioned this this kind of um, kind of fungibility or plasticity, right, to the office, which is already a trend that was well afoot before um, COVID, right? We saw the the emergence of flex office and co working and these kind of very flexible structures that were created for companies. And you brought up a really good point that that's layered on top of a a fungibility in time, right? That 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 time is you know doesn't you don't need to work a, a five day work week that workers can um, really work throughout the week. There's a ubiquity to work especially exactly. now with all these technological tools. So thinking less about now the office, but more about the, the, the kind of the design, the, the structure, um, the urban architecture, what changes? And, and I'm curious, what are kind of the, you know, your clients saying to you in terms of how is, how is the world going to look different? The the uh, master plan communities, the office buildings, streetscapes, how are they going to look and be designed differently post 2020?
1: Yeah, no, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be very different. Look, I, I think our cities, especially our cities have gotten a bad rep. I think people are, you know, really talking about density versus crowding. And people are now t- you know, they are getting those two issues confused. And I think right now what's happened, it's about crowding in our cities. And I think this is an opportunity we're seeing right now how people live working and playing and how the public realm is really coming into, uh, you know, into view right now. We're seeing restaurants that are spilling out into our streets. Uh, we're seeing major streets being closed in our major cities in Seattle and Denver and Boston, in New York City, literally city streets being closed. And the public realm, parks, streets, now being about people, and I think this is an opportunity. It's the first indicator, and I'll talk about drivers, cars later. But the first indicator of how we can take our cities back for people, how we can take our streets back for people. Um, if you look at the greatest cities in the world, let's take New York as an example. Central Park was created in in the early 1900s based on a, a a pandemic. That's why Central Park was created. Really,
0: I actually didn't. What's the history of that? I don't know the history of that
1: it was during uh, the uh, i forgot what the outbreak was but it was an outbreak a pandemic and they we need they needed more open space and so that's what was the impetus behind creating uh, you know central park and i think that what's happened now is that you know again there's so many cities that are now looking at rebalancing their streets think about the typical city street that has parallel parking maybe has a bike lane and then there's has four or five or six lanes of traffic to take a city like New York or Los Angeles and how we can revamp that into taking over. And it's happening right now with restaurants where they're taking over the park, the parking spaces for amenity space, for green space, for you know restaurant al fresco space. And this rebalancing that's going to take place where you can now can have bike lanes, you can have restaurant space, you can have public space, You can have places where we can have rapid transit that's easier accessible, above rate rapid transit that connects our city nodes together. And I think we're seeing a renaissance right now. And this is the beginning of the transformation of our cities, taking back the public realm for people that was so uh, congested with cars. You know, cities like New York or LA, again, I keep on referring to bigger cities where commute times are continuing to increase, where, Uh, You know, you you couldn't even see across the street because all the CO2 that was emitted from the cars. And just look what's happened during COVID and how now in Los Angeles, I could see the mountains outside my window. You know, in in New York, the air is clear. So it's also and, you know, we'll talk about this. It's also about climate change. It also talks about how COVID is this health uh, and safety major alarm that's going off that has to do with climate change in the long run and the future of our cities and how we're gonna deal with climate change also. So, you know, it's, uh, we often talk about, I I think, you know, we talk about this idea of the 20 minute city where people can live, work, and play in one location, walkable cities, walkable communities, walkable neighborhoods, where they're not dominated by cars, where everyone can get uh, accessible and, and well connected, well connected to mass transportation, well-connected to the public realm, you know, well-connected connect- for every possible use, including healthcare in that community. And I, I do believe that this is the nexus point. This is the transformation point for our cities that will then move, will move past, hopefully past COVID and then start to deal with climate change in the future.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.